Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. Well, this morning, I'm, I'm very excited that uh, my brother Ashante Petaway is here. So let's give him a, a warm, uh, warm Chicago West welcome. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, too, sir. And uh, you're not alone. Uh, your wife Amanda's right here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe Joseph and Samuel, are they upstairs? Yes, sir. Yeah, so your son's good biblical names, Joseph yeah. and Samuel. Old, old uh, Testament guy. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Well, uh, hey, w- one thing that's really great that maybe some of you don't know, you know, uh, Ashanti and Amanda, they come here to Chicago West, um, but you and uh, John and Danielle, both of you, you go way back, yeah. right? Way back. And... Uh, you were both at Moody together, yep. and we're studying together and interacting together. Amanda and Danielle work together um, at Moody, and so you guys are dear friends uh, here at Chicago West, and we're so glad that you've made this your church home, and uh, we're excited that you've uh, come to bring the word for us this morning. Uh, so would you just join me as the sisters and brothers in Christ as we just pray uh, for uh, Ashanti here and for God's word to be proclaimed? we're grateful that we can gather together as your body. Thank you for how you provide when we need it, Lord, by your spirit. And so we would just ask right now, I know this brother right here, and uh, Lord, you have gifted him to teach. You have put in his heart a love for you and a desire to seek after you, and I've seen that in so many ways. But I, I know right now that he's not depending on what he's bringing to the table. I know that he wants to be led by your spirit to make him a humble but bold servant of you. So, Lord, we're asking, would you do that right now? Would you just enable him to bring the message that you have for us to receive? Whether we're right here in this room or whether we're joining online, I would just ask, Lord, that you would bring us together and reveal to us by your living and abiding word what it is that we can't find anywhere else. We thank you that we get to pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Kent. Good morning, everybody. How you feeling today? Uh, I'm excited to be here, as he shared already. Uh, me and John go back. So when he came from Philadelphia uh, to Chicago, he hit the grounds of Moody Bible Institute. And uh, I was already there uh, serving the Lord, getting ready to finish up school. And we got to just build with each other. And uh, this is no slight on Moody. I love my school. But, you know, minorities, we find each other because we're a small population there. Uh, so we connected, <laughs> we connected quickly. Uh, but believe it or not, our greatest connection actually is on the basketball court, man. Me and John held it down in intramurals for about a good five years straight. We took it through undergrad to grad school, even though we never won a championship. But uh, I don't hold that against anyone. But no, glad to be here and uh, excited for the Lord to open up his word. It's been an amazing series we've been in. Uh, we're going to depart from that series just a little bit to have a break. Uh, but for those of you who may say, hey, I've never seen this guy, Shanti. Uh, you can't miss my wife, she's fine, but you might miss me. Uh, one of the reasons why you don't necessarily see me as often as some of you saw me throughout the last year or year and a half is because one of the gifts that God has blessed me with is that he's helped me to be a gap filler in certain churches who have been without pastors. So the only time, 
Amen. The only reason you don't see me here every Sunday or our family here every Sunday is because there have been a few churches who've been without a pastor that I've been helping fill in uh, occasionally, sometime between two to three Sundays a month. So uh, it's a joy to be here and actually be able to fill this pulpit uh, to preach God's word. I thank to all the elders, Pastor Kent and John, for just entrusting me with this opportunity. And my last thing is I want to thank you guys. Uh, I got saved at a ripe young age of 19, and I remember my church home, the Love Center, Greater Rising Star Baptist Church in Atlanta, GA. And I've pastored for like five and a half years in the city of Chicago. This is the first place I came that reminded me of being back home at the church I got saved at. And it's because of the welcoming heart and spirit of this church that you guys made us feel like we're part of the family, even though we had just gotten here. So I commend you all for that and thank you, all right? Today we want to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Uh, but before I jump there, uh, I, I think about this idea of titles and positions. Uh, one of the biggest arguments of this day is who is the greatest of all times. Now, this, this applies in various aspects. See, somebody already shouted out a name before I even said a sport. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You have arguments in basketball. Is it LeBron? Is it, is it Michael Jordan? Okay. Is it, is it Bill Russell? I mean, there, 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 are, there are a series of arguments over who's the greatest of all time. In rap, you find issues and questions of like, who's the greatest of all times? Mr. Sean Carter said it this way. They argue over who's the best MC, Biggie, Jay-Z, or Nas. That's the argument over who is the greatest of all time. And the reason why people argue over this is because they want to be able to say their person or they are the best to have ever done what they've done. They want that title. They want that prestige. They want the people to know who they are. But we also find in religious circles the question and debate of who's really God. The debate is who is really God? If you look at the Hindu religion, there are thousands of gods. Muslims will argue that Allah is God and Muhammad is the, the supreme one. You have all these religions saying they are the one, they are the greatest of all time. But what scripture teaches us is that there is something distinctively different about Jesus. There is something distinctly different about our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three but yet one. It defies the mind. It defies logic. But it doesn't deny the fact that it's true. Today's text opens up some of the beautiful uniqueness of why our God is the greatest of all time, the greatest to ever be. And we'll unpack that as we look through these verses. And this is how the text reads. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. As I stand here, I recognize that 
The only way this goes through is if you are in me and moving through me and speaking. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move mightily, not because I deserve it, but because of who you are, and that your true word will come forth to bless all of us and teach all of us about who you are and help us better understand how it is to walk in the beauty of who you are. I pray that every ear here, Lord God, that may be struggling with their faith or who may not even know Jesus at this moment may have their ears and hearts open to receive your grace this morning that is so rich, that is so full, that is so powerful, that it can change the hardest of hearts. We submit this to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at this text, it opens up with a very clear statement. And one of the things we're going to look at is this idea of Jesus, the great high priest. But one thing I always find important is that as the listener and reader of today, we must do some work. We've got to do some digging into the text because we have no real relationship or understanding of what a high priest is in our modern culture. See, our elders are not high priests. Our pastors are not high priests. If you're a certain denomination, your bishop is not the high priest. None of these roles can really speak to what the role of the high priest is. So, again, we have to dig. And in order to do that, we must go into the Old Testament. And the role of the high priest in the Old Testament meant that this was a leader of the Levitical family. This was the body of the tribe that their sole purpose was to go before the Lord and serve him and worship and praise of who he is. Everybody else got a piece of land. Everybody else had responsibilities of work and producing. Their sole responsibility was to worship and help lead the people of God into worship and praise and celebration of the Lord. The great high priest had these roles that they had to sustain. And the great high priest, or should I say the high priest, would have to then go on one day of the year to make atonement for the sins of everyone. And again, I know atonement may seem like a foreign language, so I'll break it down. It's the idea of that someone is going to take care of a debt. It's the equivalent of me saying, yes, you got a ticket, I got you. And what is happening in this moment is this great high priest would have to then prepare himself to go before the throne of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was in the holies of holies. And so they would have to go through this veil. And it was so powerful, the presence of God, that they had to tie a rope around them with a bell on it. That just in case he had not presented a proper sacrifice for his sins, if he fell over from death, they'd be able to pull him out. Because nothing could stand or exist in the presence of the holy God because of its impurity. And so this, this called and brave individual will walk in humbly to present a sacrifice on behalf of himself and the entire tribe for their sin. That was the role of a high priest. In the book of Hebrews, we'll see in the opening chapters, verses 1 through 4, up until we get to right here, it speaks of how Christ is superior to all. That is why the text doesn't say he is a high priest. The text says he is a great high priest. He's distinctively different. It speaks to how he is superior to the prophets, superior to the angels, superior to Moses. 
All of these things would have spoken to the listener at this time who were Jews who had come to faith in Christ and were having some apprehensions because of the persecution they were facing. Now, the persecution they were facing had not led to martyrdom, but it was the stress and pressure of being ostracized, being picked on, being taken advantage of, and even maybe verbally or physically abused that was weighing on them that had them now having doubts. And as they thought about, well, man, it wasn't like this when I was a Jew. When I followed the laws and walked in the ways of the prophets of old, I was all good. I didn't face this. But now, since I've accepted Jesus, Yeshua, Uh the holy God, now it's getting hard and I'm having second thoughts. And the author is trying to say, hey, let me set the record straight. Even if you wanted to go back Uh to the prophets, even if you wanted to go back to your forefather, Abraham or Moses, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is far superior to them all. And that is why the text opens saying this, Jesus, the great high priest, and I would say Jesus, the great high priest, calls us to hold fast to our confession of faith. How do we see this? How does it show that him being the high priest holds us to cause our confession of faith? Well, it says here in the text, simply, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Now, you may say, what makes Jesus the great high priest? Well, the text, in a very simple way but easily forgotten way, tells us right here because it says that he passed through the heavens. This is, again, an example of the Old Testament tradition. They had to go through the veil to enter the holies of holies. But one thing you notice I did not say is that they got to stay there. They got to go once a year, and they did an in, and they came out. It wasn't a place that you sat and lingered because you recognized the weightiness and the the power of God in that place. So you came in, gave your sacrifice, and came out. But Jesus, he did something that no one else had done. Scripture says that upon his ascension, after he has given his life for our sins, has been resurrected from the dead, and now physically walking in his body, seeing his crew, he then ascends to go sit where? on the right hand of God the Father. See, he didn't have to go and then come back. He goes and takes his position as the great high priest. It speaks to the power of Jesus. It speaks to the honor that he deserves from us. And again, to the people of this time, it's saying that, listen, he is far superior And to us today, it's saying that no matter what we may think is better, he is far superior because his position provides us access that we will learn about later in the text. We cannot take this for granted. But not only that, the text goes a little further and says this. It says that we should follow him as the great high priest and believe he's the great high priest because Jesus is the son of God. For those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ in the house of the Lord today, I'm here to tell you the one thing that separates you from anybody else in any other religion is this one fact, is that you put your faith in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and he is God. That's the distinctive. I remember in my early days in my walk, 
in my barbershop, barbershop you have some of the best conversation debates, just in case you know. And ladies, I know y'all do it at the beauty shop too. Um, I remember having conversations. One of my barbers, his homie was a, a Muslim, and we had conversations, and he's like, hey, man, listen, I know you do a lot of ministry on the streets. I'm about doing a lot of ministry on the streets. Let's link up. He's like, let's link up and go out here because it's more important that we get these young guys off the block than it is for us to argue over who, who Jesus is because, like, I believe Jesus is a great prophet. I think he's worthy to be an example of someone to follow. And I was really stuck because I was like, man, in essence, it seems like a good idea. It's somebody else who wants to link up to help touch the lives of young men and women in the city who have been forgotten about. But as I sat there, I talked to him. I was like, man, I love you and I appreciate your heart. I was like, but we've got one problem. Jesus is not just a good prophet. Jesus is not just a good example. I'm like, Jesus is God and man in the only way to the Father. So I was like, this distinctiveness that we have here is going to be problematic because when you talk to them and we're talking to them together and they say, well, what do I need to do? Who do I need to go to? I ain't telling them to go to the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And you're saying go to a prophet. Those are not the same thing. Jesus himself was nearly killed for this very reason. That is why, I shouldn't say nearly killed, he was killed for this very reason. But at this time that I'm going to read from this text in John chapter 10, he had not died yet. But this is what the issue was. He says this in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So this wasn't their first time trying to get down like this. And Jesus was answered them saying, I've shown you many good works for the father for which them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him saying, it is not for the good work that we are going to stone you, but for the blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Again, what is one of the distinctives about who Jesus is? He's not a prophet. He's not the angels. He's not Moses. He's actually greater than them all, and he is fully man and fully God. That is what separates us. But that is also why he is the great high priest, because of his title, his position, and who he actually is. I've run with guys who said they are something. We've all come in contact with them, men and women at school, who say they're somebody. But when it's time for that action, we find out who they really are, right? For my older folk, time for that action means that, you know, when it's about to go down, just in case I lost y'all. We find out who they really are. But Jesus shows us who he is through his work on the cross. The text in the previous chapters have already spoken about how he was the perfect, sinless son of God who was given for our sins. 
And we can rejoice in the beauty of that understanding and that knowledge because that is distinctively who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And because of that, he is worthy of the title Great High Priest. As I mentioned earlier, there's an argument over the greatest of all time. And the issue with that argument, it depends on what year you were born and your personal preferences. Think about it. I'm sure my younger generation, there is an artist that you would say is the greatest of all time, and everybody from our generation would look at you like you had lost your mind. And we say, boy, you don't know anything about music. There were times where we had ours, and our parents looked at us like, what? What is this R&B you listening to? You better cut on some Ronald Osley. Because for them, it was meaningful to them. It had emotion connected to their life journey. All these things are debatable. What stats do you value more? But with Jesus, there's no comparison. Even when you look at other religions, that's why they laugh at us, because they say, how is it that your God lets his people, his creation, crucify him? What kind of foolishness is that? He separates himself by saying, I can. I am the God who, with one word, spoke and things were created. We are triune, but all existed since the beginning. We were never created. We didn't need any help and assistance. We did it all by ourselves. And no one can ever claim that except God. Jesus, the great high priest, calls us to hold fast to our confession of faith, and it's all anchored in who he is. So we have proclaimed with our voices that we follow Jesus. We are service of God, as the people in Hebrews had. And now what the author is telling us is, listen, hold fast to what you've professed. Hold fast to what you've proclaimed. Don't let all of a sudden your word change. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up. And when you need a reason as to why not to stop and why not to give up, you anchor yourself in the great high priest. See, many of us are struggling with our faith because we're trying to figure out in and of ourselves, how do we keep it going? We think if we do enough, if we read enough, if we pray enough, if we give enough, that that is the only way that we'll be sustained. And all those things are things and actions that we must do. But at the end of the day, the only reason I keep serving Jesus when I'm tired, the only reason I keep serving Jesus when I don't feel like it anymore, the only reason I keep serving Jesus even when I don't like what he's doing in my life is because he is the Lord and Savior of my life. It's the anchor is him. If it becomes anything else, you're going to have a problem. But even when I'm mad at God, and yes, sometimes I get frustrated because it's not going how I want it to. When I lost my daughter, I was mad at God. But what kept me was who he was. And I said, God, this hurts. This is extremely uncomfortable. 
And I don't know why you would let it happen. I don't know why you would allow this. But you know what? If you and your character is contingent on what you do for me, and it's not just the fact that you are who you are and you can't change, then I got a problem. Because you can't be savior of my life if you're questionable in your character. But because of who he is and his character and nature, God is good, God is holy, God is just, God is sovereign all the time. It cannot change. And so therefore, because I'm reminded that he is this great high priest who sits on the throne, who is truly living son of God, who is coming back to get us all one day, I can therefore rest assured to hold fast to my confession of faith. When they look at us and say, y'all look crazy as Christians still serving the Lord in in the midst of this climate, I still say I'm holding fast to my confession of faith because of who he is and what he's done. Why else then should we value the fact that Jesus is the great high priest? Well, the text continues in verses 15 through 16 saying Jesus is the the great high priest, calls us to draw near to the throne of grace. And I love how the text is set up. If you, if you don't pay attention, it, it, from the beginning to end, it's like, Jesus is this, and this is why he's super dope, and in light of that, you should respond this way. And the text continues in the same way of speaking to the greatness of who God is because it gives this wonderful, wonderful story where it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I don't know if you've ever tried to go in certain places with people of prestige and power and position, but one of the things that can turn you off very quickly is if it's somebody like a superstar that's your role model and you want to go up and meet them and they dismiss you, they shoo you off. Or the person you go to and you want to tell them, maybe it's somebody who you respect in the church or respect in your family, a matriarch or a leader, both in the marketplace, and you say, hey, I want to come share this with you because I, w- I need to share this with you because I think, I think, I think you, I need your help. Uh-huh. And then they kind of shoo you off or dismiss you or really abrupt with you. It lets you know that who you thought they were uh-huh. was not actually who you thought they were. You're like, there's a crack in their character. And, and I thought I could come to them with this, but they, they showed me they don't have time for me. I don't have value. I'm not important. But here, the word of the Lord tells us, hey, Mike, you have a God who is familiar with all that you're facing. Ray, you have a God who's familiar with all that you're going through. He'll never dismiss you. He'll never shoo you off. What draws us to people who have position and power, who we may be scared to come to, but when we go to them and they do relate to us, that's what we value is because they let us know that, hey, I may be here, but I can relate to you. I lived this out in my own personal life with my mother. I know this is going to sound crazy for some of y'all. I remember early in my Christian walk, I was struggling with sexual purity. And I had had sex. And I remember calling my mother in tears because I was like, man, mom, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like what the world tells me I have to be. But I was like, I, I'm really wrestling and I'm facing guilt right now for what I've done. The only reason I could go to my mama, I said my mama. My mama. Come on. 
I called my mama. It's because I knew my mother was a place and a person who could relate to me, but also would welcome me. And so my mother listened, and then she spoke a word, and then she shared, I can relate to you, son, and encouraged me. And what that did for me, it deepened the bond and the trust that I had with her, because what it did was it showed me my mama was who I thought she had been my whole life. Someone I could trust and rely on, and in my time of need and shame, she would be able to redirect me in my early faith to the throne of the Lord. And so what we see here in the text is the scripture says we have a God who is familiar and who can relate to. Now, the text does not mean that he has experienced every individual type of sin that you have. So nobody say, hey, Jesus, go, you want to smoke this blunt? That's not what happened in there. But what the scripture is letting us know is that the areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all the three areas in which every sin that we experience falls under. It falls under those three categories. He has experienced that as the son of God after he was fasting and right before he got ready to start his earthly ministry. And Satan, the deceiver, came to him basically saying, hey, listen. Listen, I'll give you this if you do this. Satan even quoted scripture saying, doesn't the word say if this happens, the angels will come and lift you? So why don't you jump and show me what you got? And in all these things, Jesus stood fast and did not falter. That's why it says, the text says, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And it is only because of that that he's able to be the perfect high priest, the great high priest, because he never failed to sin. He was the ultimate perfect sacrifice. And now the text says, in light of this information, in light of the fact that the Lord knows what you're going through and can relate to what you're going through, it says you now have a wonderful opportunity. It says you can draw near with what? Confidence. Now listen. When you're in sin or you're in a hard place or you're struggling... Typically, confidence is not the one thing you have. Some of us don't confidently go to ask for a raise because we're like, ah, I don't know how this is going to go. We don't confidently ask for that hand in marriage because we're like, ah, this could go left or right. There are certain things we just don't do because we struggle with our confidence. But what the text is teaching us here is that, listen, no matter what you're facing, I know the shame feels heavy and weighty, but your God says, come here. Don't come apprehensively. Don't come second-guessing, tiptoeing. He says you can come with a boldness. In the King James Version, it says boldness. You can come with confidence and boldness because of who he is. And what have we learned in the Gospels about who Jesus is? Let us go through the list of things we've seen. We've seen him engage with the woman of the well with grace and mercy despite her sinful nature. We've seen him heal people who may, under, may not naturally have deserved it based off of their own well-being, but just out of his love and his grace. We even get a parable that talks about the prodigal son. 
And then when you remember that parable, there's one beautiful instant that we must never lose sight of, is that even though the son had humbled himself and come back home, his posture was appropriate. The distinctive nature of that experience that we see is the response of the father. Because he sees his son, and he could have waited and said, oh, he's coming, he's coming. But what does the father do? He sees his son at a distance, walking in shame and humility, and he runs. In my mind, I know it may not be true, but I remind, in my mind, I'm like, he's like Usain Bolt. He sprints in lightning speed to his son and grabs him and says, bring the ring. Bring the fatty cat. We're partying today because my son is home. And those of us who walk with Jesus Christ and have submitted our lives to the great high priest can now with confidence, with assurance, with peace of mind, and with hope come to him with all of our needs. All of our needs. So what does that say to us, Shy West? It says that in our weakest moments, we can boldly go to Jesus saying, Lord, you already know I messed up. I need your help. It's not arrogance. It's a confidence that says, I can go to you, Lord. I don't have to be timid. I don't have to be worried about rejection. I can come to you. And there is nothing. Hear me, Shaw West. There is absolutely nothing that can keep you from being able to be in his presence. And you say, well, why, Ashanti? Because he is the great high priest who has gone beyond the veil. And so now as he sits on the throne next to the father, everything the father sees is through the lens of his son. So through the perfect sacrifice, all he sees is you dripping red blood. And he says, come on, son, come on, daughter, confidently come to me, and I will be your help. I will give you what you need in your time of trouble. I know you keep going other ways in hopes that they will assist you. I'm here to tell you I'm your perfect God who will assist you with all of your needs. Every single one of your needs. So young or old, that means your financial needs. That means your relational needs. Yes. That means your life purpose needs. Yes. That means all relationships you're with your mama, your daddy, your sister, whoever, for your physical needs. He says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. I used to work in radio, and I still do, but I used to work in the radio in Atlanta, Georgia. And one of the beautiful things I loved about working in radio in Atlanta, I was on the number one hip-hop and R&B station in there, and I did a Christian hip-hop and gospel show on Sunday mornings. But it was that I had access. So I would be home or driving in my car, and all of a sudden I hear, oh, 50 Cent's at the studio, Goody Miles at the studio, Outkast at the studio. And all I had to do was turn my car around, pull up to the station, take my key, boop, go upstairs. Now I'm in the studio with everybody who I listen to on the radio. My key card and my position gave me access. I loved it. I remember coming to Chicago. One of the biggest struggles I had was having to pay 
to go to events. <laughs> because in radio, I had access. I could say, hey, call Shanti, Hot 107.9. Hey, we trying to come to this event. Okay, cool, we got you. I had access, and it felt good. And I'll tell you this, I was confident. I didn't walk in there like, am I supposed to be here? I walked in there like, hey, I'm supposed to be here, boop. You can confidently walk in to the presence of God. Yes, you can. Where, where man once could potentially die. One brother tried to hold the ark up to keep it from falling and dropped dead. You can now, through Jesus Christ, the great high priest, walk up to the door. Because your key card gives you access to the holies of holies at all times. You don't have to wait till a certain time. It can be at 5 a.m., 5 p.m. It could be at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning. It could be in the midday driving down the highway. Wherever it is and whatever time of day it is, you always have access. And so the call... Shot West is, and this is what I love about the text here, is that he's not going to make you use it. So there are those of us who are walking and living in here who have access, but live as if we don't have access because we won't actually use it. But also, there are those of us in here who have known Jesus, but because of religion and different traditions, did not know you actually had access to be able to freely come to him. And all of us are in the same boat. So today, we stand with boldness and joy in our hearts because no matter what, we know now because we've heard it in his word that we have access to him through his son, Jesus Christ. But again, it's up to you as to whether or not you use it. I think one of the greatest joys of really taking time to read God's word and be with God is when you really begin to recognize the value of what we have before us. In the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul does a great job of constantly reminding us through the power of the Holy Spirit of just this idea that remember who you once were, now remember who you are. Remember what you received free, not based off of your work, but based off of his work. Every once in a while, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I want you to think back to life before Jesus. I want you to think back to those moments. Because I remember, no matter how much I drank, no matter how much I smoked, how much I partied, at the end of the day, once I woke up, the issues and trials of life were still there. I was able to have a temporary fix to stave off 
the hardships of life. But it was temporary. And I think about Jesus and what he's done. Not because we deserve it. I promise you, I've always been a solid, loyal dude, but the wretched man that I was, there are things I'm ashamed of that I did. But the only reason the shame doesn't hold fast to me is because I know who he is. And it's not because of what I deserve, but because of who he is. So you need to sit back every once in a while and not look back in regret and shame, but look back and remember, look at what he did. I may not be at my fullest potential yet because the sanctification process is a journey. I'm here to let you know, in case you didn't know, you won't be perfected until you go home to be with Jesus. Or he comes and snatches up in the second coming. But until then, sanctification is going to be step after step after step, journey after journey, year after year. And occasionally, you might have a relapse. But even in that relapse, what do we remember to do today? Boldly, confidently, go back to the throne of what? Why did he use grace? He he could have said the throne of worship. He could have said the throne. He said the throne of grace that reminds us that we are not deserving, we are not worthy, but it's something that was given freely, undeservedly, because of who he is and not who we were. So, saints, today, I hope you know I love you. I love God. But most of all, I want you to know that God loves you. He loves you in a bountiful, overwhelming way, unlike anyone else ever can. Not your mother, not your spouse, not your child. And I'm here to tell you that no matter what lie the enemy or your flesh is whispering in your ear, about who God is and his character and him saying, oh, I'm not worthy, I can't come before him. Let God speak for himself. And what his word says is this. It says, let us hold fast our confession and let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need because Jesus is the royal great high priest and worthy to be praised. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Pray, Lord God, that you would continue to move in our hearts and our lives. We recognize in our brokenness that we sometimes misstep. We sometimes don't properly receive your love. But I pray today, Lord God, that you would continue to do a work in our hearts to receive who you really are. I pray that every lie and cognitive mental distortion that is in someone's mind today, that you begin to remove it and help them speak the truth of your word. David in the Psalms often talked about the despair, the feeling of loneliness, but then he always came back with the truth of word and said, but your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, I pray for whoever is listening today who is broken and does not know you. Might they find hope, but more than that, might they come to you as their living hope. 
confessing and professing that you are Lord and they need you. And you can meet them wherever they are. We submit this day to you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' matchless mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Service. Join us next week.